passage is a call to the Corinthians to be holy in contrast to a godless world and to be holy on the basis of God's grace, his rich grace to us in Christ and the basis of his promises to us. God has fulfilled his promises contained in the Old Testament in the lives of the Corinthians. (laughs) And on that basis, Paul is arguing that the Corinthians ought to respond to the rich grace of God and these wonderful promises fulfilled in their lives with lives of holiness, to respond to God's grace by cleansing themselves and perfecting holiness through their faith in God. So let's take a look at the text. Let's read it together. I'll read out loud. You can follow along. You have it there in your bulletin, or you can look it up in your own Bibles. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, it'll be helpful for us to think very quickly about the context here. In the immediate context, just a few verses back, Paul has urged the Corinthians not to receive God's grace in vain. That is not to simply receive the grace of God, but to respond appropriately to it. Listen to what Paul says. Again, just a few verses back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what he says. These are amazing words. And we don't have time to flesh them out in their rich depth. But listen to what he says. He says, working together with him. That is, with Christ. You remember just in chapter 5, he had said, we are ambassadors of Christ. God is working through us and in us to appeal to you to be reconciled to him. And he's carrying that thought through here now. And he said, and again, as ambassadors of Christ, God speaking through us, working together with Christ, working together with God, we appeal to you, Corinthians, not to receive the grace of God in vain that is without its fruits. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Paul goes on then to say, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. These are amazing words that Paul is saying. He's asserting to the Corinthians that God's grace has indeed come to their life. God has heard them. He has listened to them. His grace has been richly poured out upon them. He is with them. He is near to them. He is helping them. And so Paul is urging them not to simply receive this glorious message of the grace of God, but to work it out in their lives, to bear its fruits, to respond appropriately with lives of holiness. Now in the passage that we have in front of us did, back to our unison reading, he frames this as a call to throw off the yoke of sin. Look at how the text reads. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now this picture of a yoke, you're probably familiar with it, this contraption, this device that you put on a beast of burden. 
that helps to direct and control that beast so that that beast can carry a burden for the purposes of the master of that beast. Unequally yoked, then, is the picture or the idea of serving a master. And Paul is reminding the Corinthians here not to serve the same master that unbelievers serve, not to walk the course that they walk, not to go in the way that they go, not to think the way that they think. You are a believer, Paul is saying to the Corinthians. You are a congregation of believers. We must not be yoked with unbelievers. We must not follow their master's sin. We must not walk in the way that they walk. It's a call to holiness, you see. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But notice his reasoning here. Look at how he fleshes this out, because this is amazing. It's beautiful. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Now these terms, fellowship, communion, accord, part, we might read that as portion, inheritance. This term agreement, they all have different nuances, but they're all pointing to the same idea of union, of holding things in common. And Paul's point here is that believers, we don't hold anything in common with the unbeliever when it comes to holiness. When it comes to spiritual matters, now he's not denying that we don't hold certain things in common. We share the same nature. We live in the same world and so on. But when it comes to worship, when it comes to spiritual things, especially when it comes to holiness, we have nothing in common with them and we ought not to be like them. And we ought to seek and strive to live in a way that's unique and true to the calling that we've received and to this new life that we have, this new relationship that we have, and this holiness that's been planted in our hearts. But look at the contrast then. Again, look at what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. When he says, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, the implication he's, that he's making here is that the Corinthians are righteousness in Christ. They've been clothed with his righteousness. They're the, in fact, back in chapter 5, they are the righteousness of God through Christ. Christ who knew no sin became sin for them that they might be the righteousness of God in Christ. What a beautiful reminder Paul is giving us that in Christ we are righteousness. We're clothed in righteousness. We're declared righteous. We are not lawlessness. You see, but then the implication is we must live true to our justification. We must live true to these glorious truths. But man, what an amazing thing for Paul to say. Your righteousness in Christ. What communion has light with darkness? You see the implication he's making. You Corinthians, you are light. (laughs) You once were darkness, but now you are light in Christ. And light in the Bible refers to purity, holiness, and truth. It's a reminder to us of what God has done in our life. We are light in him. When he says that what accord has Christ with Belial, he's reminding the Corinthians of their union with Christ. We are his. We belong to him. He holds us in his hand. He will never lose us or let us go. We are his. We are no longer Belial's. Belial means worthlessness or wickedness. We no longer walk that way. That's not our master in life anymore, the way that it was when we were unbelievers or the way that it is in an unbeliever's life. Paul is saying amazing things here, reminding us of rich, glorious truths. We are righteousness. We are light. We are in Christ. We are his. We are believing. We've been given new uh, life. We've been given this precious gift of faith by the Holy Spirit. We are not unbelievers. 
we have real faith in God, we trust in him, we believe in his wisdom, his goodness, and his power, and we believe in him and rest in him and take refuge in him. I mean, it's an amazing thing that Paul is saying here. I mean, it really is. He's saying, look, Corinthians, this is who you are. You are righteousness. You are light. You are Christ. You are believers. And above all, you're the temple of God. You're his dwelling place. Paul tells us what he means that they're the temple of God. In verse 16 through 18. And again, what he's bringing out is all of these Old Testament, this rich Old Testament imagery. And he's applying it to the New Testament Corinthian church and the New Testament Corinthian believer. So this is what he says again, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. The Corinthian church is the temple of God. The Corinthian believer is the temple of God. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Again, Paul's pulling out these Old Testament promises that have come to pass, that have been fulfilled in the Corinthian life. And God promised to dwell in the lives of his people. He promised to walk among them, to live in and through them in the power of Christ. God has committed himself to his people covenantally. That's the, uh, the implication of this language. I will be their God. They shall be my people. That's covenantal language. God is committed to his people. He's drawn his people to himself powerfully and effectively. They are his people. Not only has God committed himself to them, they've committed themselves to him in response. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. Again, God has called us to himself out of the world. He's called us to be distinct from the nations that surround us, from those who are under the wrath of God. We are no longer under the wrath of God in Christ. To those who live in sin, we no longer live in sin. To those who still have the corruption of sin upon them, brothers, we've been called out of it. He has received us. I will receive them, God says. He's accepted us in Christ and on the basis of the merits of Christ. Because he's done this, he's become a father to us. This is what he says in verse 18. I will be a father to you. That's his promise. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He's made us his own precious children. And he's done so by the power and authority of his word. The God has said, says the Lord Almighty, by the authority of his revealed word. But then look where Paul goes with this. All of these promises, all of this rich truth, being righteousness and light, And having all of these promises, again, look at the language of chapter 7, verse 1 there. Therefore, the apostle says, having these promises, and I want to underline and remind you and reiterate to you that what he he does not simply mean is that you have these promises recorded, and there they are in front of you, and now you're aware of them. (laughs) He means you have these promises in the sense that God has fulfilled them in your life. God dwells among you. He has drawn you to himself. You are his sons. You are his daughters. All of those Old Testament promises have come to pass for you, Paul is saying. They are yours. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, of the sins of the body, sins of the mind, perfecting holiness, bringing it to completion in the fear of God that is in faith, 
And so the apostle here is reminding the Corinthians, he's reminding us by the Holy Spirit that God has called us to himself. A holy and a righteous God has called us to himself. And therefore it is upon us then with faith and trusting in him and by the power of those promises to pursue holiness, to be holy for he is holy.